are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I also want to shout out the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast hosted by Vinny Iyer. He just did a full-on 12-team, 17-round mock draft to get you ready for your fantasy draft season, which is just around the corner. And he did it over like two weeks or a little more than that of his show. Go check that out. Listen to the big old series and get hooked on Vinny Iyer doing Locked On Fantasy Football. Available wherever you find your favorite shows. Today is Twitter Tuesday, which means we get to talk about your questions and your questions only. We do this every Tuesday. If you want to get in on it, you can always send me a question at Locked On Vikings or at Luke Braun NFL. If you have a longer question, you can email it to Locked On Vikings podcast at gmail.com. And there's also a Google form if you'd rather do that, which is always linked in the show notes. The first one we are going to answer today comes from Eli. He said, we talk a lot about schemes on offense and defense, but what about special teams? Obviously, some coaches play more aggressively than others, but are there fundamentally formational or conceptual variances between different schools of thought regarding NFL level special teams? Um, So you'd have to ask like a more dedicated special teams guy than me, but there are some decisions that I noticed that, uh, you know, are kind of the classic. I mean, there's the ones you would be familiar with if you've played Madden, right? About uh, do you kind of go all in for a punt block or do you take a more uh, conservative approach and, you know, go for a better return game? Do you double team the gunners, that kind of stuff? And that'll have a lot to do with how good that gunner is, how much you're afraid of that gunner, like blowing up the play. Um, That is all, I think, a little more base level. I think when it comes to punting, there's a lot of different schools of thought. Obviously, in an ideal world, you have a punter that has a whole bunch of hang time and also gets it, you know, a million yards down the field. But given the choice between the two, um, some coaches, this was a big Mike Prefer thing, was we're all about, uh, you know, just we don't really care about the distance. We just want to prevent the return because a horrible thing can happen on a return. Five yards of field position on the whole isn't going to mean all that much. So they would basically willfully sacrifice field position. They'd tell Chris Cluey talks about this all the time and how he didn't like it, that the Vikings would tell him, you know, kick it up way in the air. Uh, and force a fair catch every time. Uh, there are coaches that don't believe in that, that want you know to, to prioritize more distance, but still with enough hang time. It depends on who your coverage guys are. Um, but I think with punting, yeah, it's a, it's a lot about kind of getting it so it's timed so that you get as far down the field as you can and as high up as you can so that you can basically force a fair catch as far down the field as you can. And that has a lot to do with how much ground your, your gunners can cover. When it comes to kickoffs, I think there are other strategic decisions and kind of philosophical things you have to think about. A lot of that is just about lanes um, and angles. And it's kind of a, to me, it looks cosmetic. I know it's not cosmetic and I'm sure special teams guys out there would uh, ream me for saying that but it's all about you know how you would rather control lanes and angles and stuff and that could change game to game depending on how you like who you're going up if you're going up against Cordero Patterson or if you're going up against you know Johnny Neal in in the end zone there is of course the choice of whether or not to kick into the end zone and force a touchback or whether to kick at the one and force uh, a return and if you force a return and you can average you know tackling them at the 22 yard line you're getting net three yards every time maybe that's the way to do it but then you're risking the return 
again. So it's like a, a more philosophical thing. And when it comes to actually kicking, I think that's more about technique than it is about like strategy. But covering kicks um, and how you would try to like block a kick, you could overload one side. You can have somebody try to time the snap and jump over the, the top. Um, there's also like a blocking math kind of numbers game that if you are the uh, defending team, you do have a numbers advantage. So kick teams will just kind of block everybody but the outside guy. So you put the fastest guy you possibly can on the edge and they're going to make that guy, you know, run as far as he can. But if he can get in fast enough, he might be able to get a block. A lot of uh, defensive backs have gotten uh, onto teams in preseasons based on that. But it's also interesting because every special teams coordinator's entire unit changes every single year. You don't get uh, Heath Farwell's all that often. So, you know, you could have an entirely different personnel group from one year to the next, and that might change the way you do scheme as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of designs, and I think the differences between them as you get more and more specific, they get more and more cosmetic and more and more kind of, okay, how do you want to get the gunner from point A to point B? Do you have them go outside, inside? What do they feel most comfortable with? That kind of stuff. Um, but there's definitely a lot of, like, decisions and strategic things that special teams coaches are generally responsible for, and that's a, a lot of those decisions I thought Marwan Maloof did a really poor job of, and that's why I was kind of like, yeah, you should probably be fired after 2020. Uh, Joe Green asks, do you think it would be smart for an NFL team to quit paying all the money to quarterbacks and instead every year or two or three keep drafting them? Always have a quarterback on a rookie deal and theoretically a really good roster. Um, so in a word, no, because you would have to hit every quarterback. If you miss on a quarterback, you are torpedoing three years of franchise. doesn't matter what kind of uh, cap space you have if you're stuck with Mitch Trubisky, right? The reason you pay a quarterback isn't just for good quarterback play, it's for not needing to go get another quarterback and not needing to be a part of the quarterback market. I mean, if you look at most drafts, I mean, there's not a lot of 2018 drafts out there. And even 2018 produced Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, that some are high on, some are low on. And then there's like Darnold and Rosen, who were at the top of a lot of people's lists. Um, you can miss on quarterbacks pretty easily. I mean, there is a better than you think chance that Trevor Lawrence is actually bad in the NFL and doesn't translate for whatever reason, doesn't acclimate. It just happens to kind of to everybody. I wouldn't bet on it, but the percentage is bigger than two, you know? So I wouldn't want to be rolling those dice every year. I would want to get one good quarterback and then never have to worry about not having a quarterback again, no matter what that costs. Um, and I think that's that's why teams always do that. Chris says, do you think special teams this year are more likely to muff five kicks or punts or score uh, more than one touchdown? I'm going to go with more than one touchdown. Five muffs is a lot. Uh, unless like Chad Beebe gets the job. Like if Chad Beebe gets the job, like de facto, he's the guy. Uh, then I change my answer to this. <laughs> but I think scoring more than one touchdown is probably more likely, but I don't think either of these are particularly likely at all. I got a lot more questions to answer for you, but first, it's the NBA Finals, baby. It's coming up, and if you want to gramble on it, go no further than betonline.ag. It's your one-stop shop for all things grambling. You can bet on all sports, award shows, reality TV. You could have bet on the eating contest, anything you can really dream up, you can find at BetOnline. It's free to sign up on your desktop, on your mobile. Just go to betonline.ag. Make your free account. When you make your first deposit, enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word. You can get a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you put in 200 bucks as your first deposit, you'd actually have 300 bucks to gramble with. They will match half of your first deposit for entering promo code LOCKEDON at betonline.ag. 
Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday mailbag. The next one comes from Drew Locke Enjoyer, who says, Say the likely possibility that Mond never really develops and two years down the road, he still looks like garbage in practice happens. Do you think there's a scenario in which Cousins is re-signed a second time? And would the world cave in on itself? Um, so given that uh, Kellen Mond isn't good, and we'll say given that they don't like get another quarterback or don't do something else, I, I honestly think like if Kellen Mond isn't killing it, I think Kirk Cousins gets extended 100% of those scenarios. <laughs> like, uh, the only thing I could imagine is, A, you get, like, a godfather offer of some kind of trade, but trading your quarterback and then turning to the crappy guy that you don't like, um, which, again, we, we are only in scenarios where he's the crappy guy you don't like, uh, that does just doesn't seem like something the Vikings would or should do, really. Uh, so I, I just can't imagine a world where Kellen Mond is rough and then they are like, well, we don't need Kirk. We're just going to go with Mond or float into the abyss. <laughs> like, I can't imagine them doing that. So yeah, if Mond isn't good, they're extending Kirk Cousins. I think that's pretty much a given unless they somehow end up with a top five pick and then they go get a quarterback or something like that. Um, but I can't, I just can't imagine a world where they do something other than Kirk Cousins or Kellen Mond in the next couple of years. And uh, second part, yes, the world would cave in on itself uh, with mercy. Eric the Red asks, which team in the league do you think would present the worst matchup for the Vikings with the way they run their scheme offensively and defensively? This one's really interesting. Um, we had a similar question, I think it was last week, just restricted to the AFC North, and I said the Steelers are a pretty good matchup for the Vikings. Um, so I'm trying to think, I'm just going to think through this one out loud. To find a bad matchup for the Vikings... So the Vikings usually are most comfortable when they get to play man-to-man, -man, but they won't do that, I think, if, if you have threats that are too uh, scary. So somebody with a lot of good receivers at Tampa is probably a really good one. They're probably a bad matchup for, like, everybody. Uh, somebody else with, like, a really good wide receiver core. Kind of think the Ravens are a weird matchup. Um, you know, the mobile quarterback bugaboo for Mike Zimmer defenses. Um, they've got a pretty interesting core of wide receivers now. With like Hollywood, they got Rashad Bateman. And then defensively, it's somebody whose scheme relies on getting pressure with four because you can do that against Vikings offensive lines, which I feel okay about this year's offensive line, but, you know, believe it when you see it. Uh, so I, Ravens feel like a pretty bad one. Bucks feel like a pretty bad one. If Tua Tagovailoa is good, the Dolphins could be a pretty bad one. They have a lot of those uh, pieces. The Bills would be a really, really tough matchup, which the Vikings have to play the Bills next year. Um, those are a couple off the top of my head. I'm probably forgetting somebody that's like really scary. John Couch asks, of all the free agents we gave one-year deals to, who do you think has the, a chance to earn a long-term deal heading into 2022? Mine would be Woods. Um, I think Woods is an excellent choice here. Uh, I, he's 26 this season, 27, and he's a pretty good safety. Could totally get a long-term extension if things work out, if he's as good a communicator as everybody's kind of raving about. Um, I think Mackenzie Alexander counts. If he can just be the nickel forever and ever, I would just take that, um, and it probably wouldn't be particularly expensive to do. Probably a lot of good value in that. It's tougher with some of the older vets like Patrick Peterson and uh, Sheldon Richardson, who have both kind of expressed that they're really only here for a year so that they can go sign another contract next year, and they're kind of very uh, unapologetically being mercs about it, which I think is totally fine. You know, make your bag. So yeah, I'd probably keep something in the secondary. Alan asks, how much money can the Vikings free up by extending Harrison Smith and Brian O'Neill? Uh, so Brian O'Neill probably costs you money this year to extend uh, because he is making like two and a half million or something. He's on the fourth year of a second round picks deal. He is making peanuts right now in 2021. So I imagine as part of an extension, you a could just tax salary onto 2021 and just give him a pay raise as 
uh, you know, to make him sign the deal. Um, but also, there's probably a signing bonus involved that will add to the 2021 cap hit. So Brian O'Neill call it probably costs you money uh, to extend. Harrison Smith has a $10 million cap hit, and none of it's guaranteed. So technically, you could free up a lot of money with Harrison Smith. But now that it seems like they've kind of done what they want to do in free agency, not that they have to be done, and there's definitely still players out there worth uh, talking about, but they, it, for all the whispers and rumors out there, it seems like they're mostly focused on extending these guys and then they're going to go into the season. You don't necessarily have to free up a bunch of cap space. So you might not want to do like a salary cap, uh, a, a salary to signing bonus conversion with Harrison Smith and kick can down the road. You might just want to get a big paycheck down right now. So maybe even front loading and not saving cap space in 2021 so that 2022 you can take a little bit of uh, the burden off of might even be there. You can kind of do whatever, though. It's a $10 million deal. Say you tack uh, two more years onto it, so, so it's a three-year deal. You could convert all of that to signing bonus and pay like three and a third million uh, each year, and you could save, you know, like six and a half million this year if you wanted to use it on something, but I don't really see anything to use it on. So I say just leave Harrison Smith's 2021 alone and add years to it. Elaine asks, which is more important in order to get a great performance from Cousins along the season, a steady OL or a productive wide receiver three? Um, so I think it's OL and I don't think it's particularly close when it's, you know, how do you affect Cousins performance the most? Uh, one of my favorite pieces that I wrote over the offseason I wrote in January about Kirk Cousins and the impact that offensive line had. And I basically took the like EPA per play numbers from PFF's quarterback annual of pressured versus unpressured dropbacks um, and basically made a statistical argument that get him more protection and his uh, performance would increase more than if you fixed his ability to mitigate pressure, which is below average. He's not great at, at uh, mitigating pressure. The offensive line is worse at preventing it. So there's more kind of meat on the bone with the offensive line. And I think wide receiver three is probably less impactful than either of those options. Um, a, because it's the third guy, Jefferson and Thielen are out there or Smith, uh, Dal uh, Dalvin Cook, Tyler Conklin, if you believe in him, he's got skill players. It's not like the 2013, you know, 2014 kind of teams where it was like Greg Jennings and like Charles Johnson, like some guys, you know, Thielen hadn't broken out yet. And so really the only times a wide receiver three would come up, or we'll call it skill player five, you know, they say a good wide receiver three, a DD Westbrook's maybe better than Tyler Conklin as a pass catcher if you want more speed or whatever. Um, and the only time that comes up is when a that guy is in the the first part of the progression, which will be, you know, only so many snaps um, or is in a part of the progression after Adam Thielen has failed or Justin Jefferson has failed. And those will probably be relatively rare. So the times when this comes up is just rare and wide receiver three is just out there. Not that many snaps, even on teams like the Rams that use 11 personnel a lot more than the Vikings do. And the Vikings are last in the league in this. Um, it's still only like 300 routes, 400 routes, uh, where, you know, 480, 500 for like uh, true principal receivers. So it's you're just not on the field that much. Like give me five players that are on the field every play and improve those guys versus the one guy that's on the field like half the plays optimistically. And we'll often, you know, you might not even get to him in the progression because Adam Thielen cooked somebody. It's definitely offensive line. Got a few more questions to round this out, but first, let's talk about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Let's say you're trying to lose or maintain weight and you're having a sweet craving. You want maybe chocolate orange 
or peanut butter brownie or cherry barcia, all these delicious desserts. But you can't do that. You'll fall off the wagon. Built Bar is exactly there for you. It comes in those flavors and more. Nine delicious flavors, plus some specialties that pop up on their website every now and then. So make sure you check back. Covered in 100% chocolate, but they're low in sugar, low calorie, low carb, and they're high protein, high fiber. They won't knock you off the wagon. They're even keto friendly. So get yourself a box at BuiltBar.com and enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, all one word. You get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. Moving on with this delicious, delicious mailbag. Scott Ryan says, how likely do you think it is that the Vikings sign a big name right end or wide receiver as wide receiver three? Big name? Pretty unlikely. I don't know if they're into Justin Houston. I don't know if they're actually into like D.D. Westbrook or if that was just kind of smoke people were blowing when they hired his old wide receiver coach. Uh, I, I don't know. They also have a roster at 90 right now. So anything they do uh, from here on out is going to be like opportunism because they wouldn't just sign a guy and plan to cut him later, right? So this is probably about what the roster is going to be. They sure can sign somebody. They're going to get their extensions done first too, and that will also make it harder to sign a guy because that guy has to not get signed during the time when the Vikings are working on those extensions, which will be probably uh, a month or even more. So who's left, you know, now versus who left, who's left a month from now will be uh, also kind of make it harder and narrow the pool. So I don't think it's particularly likely. Nothing's impossible though. Nano Garces asks, if they were both available, which player would you prefer for this season, David DeCastro or Everson Griffin? Uh, so I am going to assume that by available, you mean David DeCastro didn't retire uh, because it sounded like he was mulling over retirement. Um, I would probably go with Everson Griffin, um, and that's my heart is kind of deciding for me there, maybe not my head. David DeCastro, I think, is better at his position than Everson Griffin. Um, I think the Vikings are in a worse way at pass rusher, at, at edge edge rusher, than they are at guard right now. Um, I kind of think they have been for a while. I mean, even now that they've got Daniil Hunter back, you still have the worry about, is he going to re-aggravate that injury? That's always going to kind of loom now. So I would take Everson Griffin, um, but... I might be biased. Linwood asks a provocative one, very caustic energy on this one. If Kirk plays good and Zimmer's coaching fails us, do we actually give the Vikings a forward-thinking coach? Uh, so it sounds like you already know your answer to this one, buddy. But I, look, if Kirk plays well and then they lose games anyways, ask yourself what that scenario is. It's probably that the defense fell apart, and then, yeah, you probably, if the defense falls apart and you had a good offense, you're probably getting rid of the defensive-minded head coach, right? Like, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, but if Kirk plays well and they lose a lot because of bad defense, I'd be pretty surprised. Um, I would also very much push back against the idea of Zimmer as not a forward-thinking head coach. I think if he said all the same things and made all the same decisions, but he were 30 years younger, we wouldn't really say anything. I've said a lot that Zimmer defensively is a chameleon. He'll run whatever scheme the personnel gives him, whatever scheme you lose to, uh, and he will kind of totally shift like coverage tendencies and everything game to game, depending on the quarterback and blitz tendencies and all that. It's very adaptable and variable. Um, I, I don't know how you could not call that forward thinking. And offensively, it's funny. I, I went on uh, fellow zone coverage writer Chris Shad's show a while back, and he was kind of asking me a similar thing about like, you know, what is, is Zimmer holding the offense back? And and I, I I kind of said we'd have talked elsewhere about it, 
Like a lot of people say, well, Zimmer should just get out of the offense's hair entirely. And then if he does that and the offense is bad, they're like, well, he's a defensive mind of head coach. He can't help the offense. What's wrong with this? And it kind of is like, do you want him involved or not? Do you want him to get involved and say pass more? Or do you want him to not be involved because he's the defensive guy? Personally, if it were up to Zimmer, and he has said this out loud a lot of times, he would love to be able to leave offense alone. He did that with Norv Turner. He said, you're Norv freaking Turner. You do the offense. I'm not going to touch it. Um, and then, you know, that worked out for a couple of years. But when it comes to, say, John Filippo, who had a crappy offense, and when Zimmer was like had to kind of start fiddling with the dials because he's the head coach and ultimately the buck stops with him, and then Filippo just didn't listen, yeah, then that, that relationship had to be terminated. But I guess I would challenge you to imagine how involved in the offense you think Mike Zimmer was in 2017 and 2019 when the offense was good and the offensive coordinator went on to take a head coaching job. Do you think that was where he pulled out or where he was involved? And I would say you probably want that from him. But yeah, if Kirk Cousins plays well, that means the offense is doing well, regardless of the freaking run-pass ratio. Who cares? If the Vikings are still losing games, it can kind of only come down to defense. Joe Cook asks, what is your way too early to be thinking about this number one pick for the Vikings in next year's draft? And went on to say, if you don't have any players, which I don't know, I don't know a single college football player. I, I cannot name one. So... I don't know, maybe they take a linebacker because if Anthony Barr leaves, it probably depends on a lot of those one-year deals, honestly. Who does get an extension? Who's Who leaves? You know, what what are they going to have to replace? I have no idea. Every single person on their roster, except for Dalvin Tomlinson and Kurt Cousins, could feasibly be cut without uh, spending excess cap money uh, and a couple of the rookie contracts like Justin Jefferson and stuff. But so they could really do anything. Next offseason, nothing is off limits, and I think it's going to make it a really fun offseason to cover, so I have utterly no idea what the draft is going to be. Uh, Dr. Doof asks, what does Nick Vigil bring to the linebacker room slash defense? Um, look, he's never been good, man. Like, he was not good in uh, at the Raiders. It wasn't good in Cincinnati. He's uh, friends with Paul Gunther, and he's got some experience. And look, that is worth something, right? You've been through some training camps. You've made some teams. You can help bring some young guys along. They do have a lot of young kids. You know, you can kind of give it sage advice about not just like how to play linebacker, but also, you know, just how to deal with being in a locker room, how to deal with the pressure and all that stuff. I think that's also, there's something worthy to that, I guess. Um, but honestly, if they had approached the draft differently or if they had a deeper linebacker group, like I don't think Nick Vigil is 100% a rosterable guy. He'll make this team because he kind of has to, I think. But I, I don't think he'd make every team in the league. Chase Palm asks, revisionist history, Vikings trade Zimmer to Dallas for a first and promote Stefanski after the 2019 season. Do you think it would have panned out well? And what do you think would be the butterfly effects regarding both the Cowboys and Vikings? Um, well, there's also the Browns here, too, that get a butterfly effect. They are probably hiring somebody else as their head coach. Uh, it could be somebody really dumb and really bad. So maybe things go a lot worse for the Browns. But uh, yeah, I don't think the offense changes a lot because the difference between Stefanski and not Stefanski was not much at all. So I, I imagine the play calling in 2020 stays relatively similar. I don't know, maybe they pass more or something. Um, maybe what you're looking for is if they pass more than, uh, you know, Diggs doesn't get as mad or something like that. But Diggs was already mad. Um, and I think, I don't know, does Stefanski still extend Kirk Cousins? Maybe. I think probably. I think that had a lot to, more to do with the front office too than uh, Zimmer himself. Um, so I think it would have probably panned out fine. And then the defense probably would have gotten a lot worse, but it was terrible in 2020. So like, I don't know how much actually changes by doing that. Um, probably things go better in Dallas than like the Mike McCarthy era. But if you also like, unless you 
think you can undo uh, the Dak Prescott injury. I don't know if things go that much better for Zimmer anyways, but their defense was like atrociously coached. Like it was one of the worst coached defenses in the league. So I actually think that makes a huge difference for Dallas to to give Zimmer uh, over there. And then they don't end up with uh, Mike McCarthy. Um, but I guess you get the first round pick too. So I guess you're about the same, but with a first round pick maybe. Uh, but that's the, the, the big difference, key difference to me, the defense would have been bad in 2020 either way because of all the injuries. But in 2021, I wouldn't be projecting it to improve. With Zimmer here, I'm projecting it to improve. Without Zimmer, I don't think uh, like a lesser defensive coach can figure out the puzzle that the Vikings have constructed here. And they probably approach free agency a lot differently. And it's kind of hard to chase all the rabbits there. But yeah, I, I think the future of the Vikings looks a little worse in that situation, but the actual past of the Vikings won't change that much. I just wouldn't be as bullish on the the, the defense bringing it back around. Uh, Forrester asks, we are entering year six of who's getting wide receiver one treatment. Outside of opponents with an elite corner they can shadow with, do you think either wide receiver faces particularly tougher coverage when they are being moved all over the formation? That's kind of the chess game, isn't it? Like that's the the Vikings are going to try to get Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen away from tougher coverage assignments. If you were to ask me who gets bracketed more often, I would have to bet that Jefferson gets bracketed more often. Um, I think that started to happen near the end of 2020, and I think that'll continue. Uh, you know, th- that can kind of only can keep growing that difference. So I think Justin Jefferson will get the wide receiver one treatment in the way that you're asking. Um, but I, I do think, you know, put him in the slot and that's going to stress the way defenses do that. So we might go up against a bunch of crappy cornerbacks, but the Vikings do that like on purpose. And that's a failure on the defense, not necessarily like an underestimation of Justin Jefferson. That's uh, you screwed with their alignments enough and suddenly they ended up with a bad matchup. And finally, Panhandle Slim asks, what's the biggest what if moment in Vikings history? My dude, it's the Herschel Walker trade. It has to be. Imagine what those 90s Vikings teams could do if they had Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin on them. You best believe Denny Green's getting a ring. I will see you guys all tomorrow. We'll talk about something. We're getting close to the end of the Storytime series, but we're going to keep that going as well. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL and the show's on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Make sure you find the Locked On Today podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast as well. Under 20 minutes every single morning. Peter Bukowski doing a great job breaking down everything going on in the wide world of sports. I'll see y'all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.